This is Adrian Warnock's Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining us. So welcome to this interview uh, for the Revive Us Again conference. And the guest interviewer is Adrian Warnock, the well-known vlogger and blogger. Uh, so I'll hand over to Adrian at this point. Well, thank you, Richard, for um, letting me uh, come and be part of this um, really important uh, conference of yours. Um, and of course, it's a sign of the times that it's now an online conference where it might have been face to face otherwise. Um, but I guess the online world is my world uh, to a certain extent. That's, um, I spend a lot of time online and have done for quite a while now. Um, but this is a new experience for some. So, uh, But it's great to be able to use all the tools. I and mean, if we think back um, to the Reformation, they used the printing press. And I'm sure that was you could almost argue a revival in many ways. Would, would you agree that at that time it was, it was like a revival, Richard? Reformation? Yeah, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, the printing press had a huge impact on the spread of the gospel. And, uh, you know, the pamphlets that were published back in the 16, 1700s uh, that led to the, the awakening with the Wesleys and Whitfield, um, they had a massive impact on, on the spread of the gospel. So I know you're also something of a, of a fan of the internet, um, and uh, you've obviously got your um, resources for mindfulness, but also for revival now. So, I mean, what's behind your thinking of using sort of such modern technology to, to spread the news and, and, and spark the interest, if you like, in revival? Well, I think um, the Revivers Again conference was initially going to be held in Edinburgh and uh, the coronavirus has led to uh, some changes to that initial plan. So we're now taking the conference online and um, the idea is that really to help Christians uh, across Scotland but wider than that, um, you know, across the internet, across the world, to really reconsider what the Bible teaches about revival and to look at some of the inspirational stories of revival down through the centuries and to begin to seek God in prayer uh, for a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. And I, I know that revival has been something that has been on the hearts of many people in the UK for quite some time. And we can get revival fatigue. We, we can get to the point where we're thinking, well, where is it, Lord? Where, where is this outpouring? Where is this fresh move of God? And in order to move forward and... Uh, you know, bring motivation towards seeking God for revival. I think it's really important that we deal with any issues of maybe disillusionment, disappointment, that God has not yet moved in the way we desired him to. And in order to do that, we need to go back to our foundations and what the Bible actually says uh, about revival, the sure word of God on which we stand uh, to believe in him to change the face of a nation. So, I mean, your talk obviously goes into this in more detail, but uh, for those who might have decided to do the interview first, could you just um, give us your definition of revival? Because I think people do vary quite a lot in how they define revival. They do. Um, 
I think um, if we go to Acts chapter 2, um, so let me just read a little of that to you. Uh, we read these words. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came down from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And in many ways, what we have there is, is a model for revival. Um, you know, unusual supernatural manifestations of the power and presence of God. Uh, but also later in Acts chapter 2, we find the preaching of the gospel in the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christ crucified, Christ risen from the dead, and a call to repentance. And in Acts chapter 2, there are several thousand people saved. And the phrase that is used when the people heard the gospel preached is that they were cut to the heart. Mm. So there's something here that is uh, often found in revival, and it's a deep sense of conviction of sin and also heavenly realities. So the, the fact that God is real and each one of us will come before him and face uh, his judgment or his mercy, and it's only through Christ that any of us can be saved. So this aspect of revival, deep conviction of sin and the holiness of God and causing us to get on our face before God and cry out for mercy. I think this is one of the fundamental things that our church and our nation needs uh, to see a, a turnaround because that really is what repentance is about, a turnaround of our church and our nation. So really, there's a sense of um, waking up. I mean, it's no wonder, really, that many people talk about awakenings. And, you know, you hear talk about the, the great awakening in the US and, and such like. Um, yeah. It sounds to me like what you're really talking about is that the church, as much as the world, uh, is often asleep. And uh, as, as a result of that, they need, we need some kind of, intervention of the Holy Spirit to sort of wake us up to reality, to make us face uh, our true situation and also the, the the danger of our situation, if you like. I mean, it's, it's interesting that you sort of mentioned that because I do think that um, the modern church, even perhaps the charismatic church, which emphasizes the Holy Spirit a lot, um, often doesn't really have that sort of sense of the fear of God that you're talking about, the sense of, oh my gosh, I could meet God tomorrow kind of thing that that that, um, that perhaps characterise some of these revivals is, is is that a reasonable? Am I am I reading you right there? Am I understanding you? Right? I think that 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 I would agree with that, and I would also say that um, I believe that the coming move of the Holy Spirit will lead to a restoration of the fear of God, and that God is going to move in such a way that we stand in awe of who he is again and that deep reverence of who he is 
will be restored in the church and flow out from the church. Um, you know, Artie Kendall, in his recent book, uh, Prepare for the Midnight Cry, he speaks about a church in the West that is in the deep sleep. And the thing about, you know, if it's someone is in the deep sleep, is that they don't realize they're sleeping until they wake up. Mm. And that's I interesting think that, because we're filming this, of course. You know, we're suddenly, as a world, um, facing the coronavirus. And for me personally, yeah. I don't want to get too much into my own story. One of the things which is rather interesting about this um, is it feels like everybody else is catching up to a reality that myself as a sick person, as someone who's had to face my own mortality in the last few years, uh, has had yeah. to face. And so for me personally, you know, when I was told that I had blood cancer and, and obviously at the time I was actually very sick as well, I had, I had pneumonia. And so, you know, my life was on the line and it's, it's been on the line a couple of times since. Yeah. Uh, thanks to God's mercy, you know, I'm, I'm doing well at the moment in many ways, um, but still obviously not in other ways. But um, I guess the point I'm saying is that sometimes I've almost felt like, you know, I'm awake to the reality that I, I could die tomorrow. But actually, we all face that reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, Spurgeon used to say to his congregation, you know, look, and this was in the middle of the cholera outbreak in Victorian London. Look, when we meet again next Sunday, we won't all be here, you know. Some of us will have will have passed and and will have faced our maker. And uh, yeah. I guess increasingly, with what Boris has just recently said, and sorry to mention Boris, I know he's not particularly popular in Scotland, but you know he has just said many people are going to die, um, and that's yeah. a you know quite a sobering moment for the nation. And, and many would argue that perhaps a sort of wakening up has happened at least until our own mortality. So I guess there's another step then, isn't there, to go from oh my gosh, I could die, to what happens after death? Um, and I'm going to face this God that I claim to believe in or that I play around with or that, you know, um, my parents believed in, but I've just tended to live as though he doesn't exist. I mean, do you see that this could potentially be something that, that would wake people up in such a similar way? I think it certainly could be. Um, you know, this could potentially be what R.T. Kendall describes as the midnight cry. Um, you know, he describes a cataclysmic event that awakens the world to the reality of God and our need for God. Um, or it may be a precursor to that. Um, but it certainly opens the opportunity for the church to point people to Christ. And... Uh, you know, in the time of deep uncertainty where anxiety levels are on the rise, people need a, a sure foundation to stand on. And, uh, you know, in the words of the old hymn, on Christ, the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Yeah, no, I think that's quite a sort of sobering moment. And it's interesting because as I think back over my life, and I'd like to ask you about your own experience of this, um, there have been moments where I've experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I mean, there's the whole charismatic movement. But but honestly, very often that's accompanied more by joy. I mean, I, I think about, for example, the, what this period of time in which we talked about the Toronto Blessing, which was definitely, a, it definitely for many people anyway, felt like an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But it was often accompanied yeah. by laughter rather than tears. Uh, by a sense yeah. of the, the love and the closeness of God, 
um, and his intimacy. And there's nothing wrong with any of that, of course. Abba Father, the spirit crying out in our hearts, Abba Father. And yet not necessarily accompanied by that same sort of sense of the holiness of God, the fear of God, or what I sometimes describe the, the weight of God's presence. I've certainly been in evangelistic meetings. Uh, I'm thinking perhaps of when Billy Graham was speaking, and I know he was very conscious of the, the presence of the Holy Spirit with him. Um, yeah. And I've seen people there being compelled to come forwards and having that sense of, like you were talking about, being arrested to the heart. But even there, you know, there wasn't necessarily much in the way of tears. There wasn't necessarily much in the way of um, the holiness of God, although, you know, there was a compelling for sure. So it's, I guess, I, I guess the activity of the Holy Spirit um, is very much part of revival, but there seems to be almost something a little bit, a little bit extra, if you like, a little bit different, a little bit special. Would, would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, I, th I think we can never put God in a box. And um, the danger with defining revival or a move of the Holy Spirit too rigidly is that we define ourselves out of the next move of God. Um, so, you know, God is God and he can move in any way he sovereignly chooses to do so. And I think the Toronto move, which I guess is more than 20 years ago now. Um, yeah, you're right. It really yeah. is because I've just realized my child is 23 and it was before she was born. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the mid-90s, um, I think it was a very significant time for many people who, and, and the primary focus was a revelation of the Father's love and um, the deep love of God for his people as Father God. Uh, and entering into that and experiencing that in a way that brought a lot of inner healing for many Christians. But did that flow out in revival and awakening to the nation? I guess not. Mm. Um, now, that's not to say that it was a bad thing. I, I think it, there was a lot of fruit in terms of people growing in their relationship with God. But there wasn't that uh, inflow of new believers through new conversions into the churches. Uh, and certainly the, the face of the nation wasn't changed. And you, you could argue that the decline of many mainstream churches continued. Uh, so we're in a worse place than we were maybe 20 or 30 years ago in the respect that the decline of the church has continued. Uh, now I'm, I'm talking about church in the broadest sense. Um, you, know, many, you could argue that, that many churches and many ministers and pastors uh, abandoned the gospel and began to preach universalism that everyone's going to heaven anyway so it doesn't matter what you believe and that kind of approach um, really doesn't lead to church growth at all and what's the point of going to church if everyone's going to heaven anyway um, and I, I think it's still there in some uh, churches and it, it leads to the sense of apathy and people very much falling asleep mm. spiritually. You know, what's the point? You know, I'm going to heaven anyway. I've got my ticket. Yeah. 
and, and then of course as well um there's other parts of the church that might not necessarily even teach universalism and yet the focus um becomes very much on the here and now and so you know it becomes almost an extension of the great american dream or, or the great western dream shall we say where you know god is seen as someone who's going to bless us uh who's going to give us a good life and i mean i was very struck by rt kendall's sermon um just this last sunday um that i listened to yeah. at jubilee church in london where um he made some really striking points and, and one of them was that actually you know we've got to remember that the gospel isn't necessarily about giving us a good time um, he told the story of someone yeah. he knew who said that before he was a christian he used to be happy uh and that actually sometimes you know the gospel doesn't fix your marriage it doesn't lead you to be healed it doesn't create a miracle it doesn't lead you to be uh you know promoted at work it might lead you to a financial turnaround where sometimes god almost seems to um almost deliberately and we have to be careful because i know god's not the author of of evil but in his sovereignty and his sovereign permissiveness let's say um allows certain people a bit like the experience of job to have things stripped away in order to wake them up in order to ask that question are you serving god for what he can do for you or are you serving him because of who he is um and because of his glory and because of his holiness and because one day just like job we're gonna have to face god um and i think you know that kind of wakening up and he and his sermon was all about suffering and the implications of that and he said something interesting because he also said that um often if you want a great anointing you have to experience great suffering and that's that's interesting um and i know that's true of some of the people that have that have led revivals in the past that they experienced these dark nights of the soul or they experienced yeah. great persecution or they experienced sickness or suffering of some form and that somehow that was intrinsically linked to to connecting with the anointing have you any thoughts about that yeah i think often the deep works of god in our hearts take place in the darker places you know that the god mysteriously works in the hidden places of the heart during those times when actually his manifest presence doesn't seem to be there so we, we, we have this concept of um god being powerfully at work in his manifest presence and that is what we desire um but of course god's much bigger than that and like you've mentioned he works in the dark night of the soul when we go through a period in our lives when he, he strips things away uh, and we know that happened to jesus before he uh, you know moved into his ministry uh, at the beginning of his ministry he was in the wilderness uh, with the devil for 40 days and we can go through a similar time of spiritual testing and refining in the wilderness and those times are formative for what lies ahead in terms of the move of the holy spirit in our lives because if we don't have the character to handle the anointing then uh, the outcome won't be good we'll make bad choices we'll walk in the flesh and end up uh, we want to be the focus of of attention our egos will get in the way instead of stepping aside and saying jesus we want you to receive all the glory you are the one we are here for and 
we are willing to step aside, step out of the spotlight and point people to Jesus as the light of the world, the only one who can save and bring hope to the nations, to the whole world. That's wonderful, Richard. So what about you personally? Have you experienced anything like that? A sort of, you know, where, where the Holy Spirit has taken you apart and, and, and you've encountered God in that sort of way that you've just described? Yeah, I have. Um, I think some of the hardest challenges that Christians can face is um, in the church <laughs> with fellow believers. And uh, for Jesus, he faced betrayal. He faced um, his disciples running, fleeing from him in his hour of need. And, um, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I have been involved in various ministries over the years. And sometimes... Christians don't behave that well. He, you know, we, we might have noticed that, you know, that none of us is quite perfect yet. Um, and sometimes that means we get elbowed out of the way, we get pushed aside, we even get betrayed. And uh, I often think of um, the road to Jericho where the uh, no, in fact, it's the Good Samaritan, where the, the guy is, the Samaritan is, uh, comes along and in his compassion, he lifts up and helps the man at the side of the road. He is he's going about his business as normal, and he just got jumped on and beaten up. And, uh, often, we're the ones who end up at the side of the road. And we, through the process of, of healing and seeking God in our brokenness, he takes the broken pieces of our lives and pours the, the oil of healing in. And he restores us in our identity so that we can stand up in who we are in Christ, that we have the knowledge that we are his precious sons and daughters, and that who he says we are is who we really are. And we can stand in that uh, with confidence, not just for today, but for all eternity. Mm. So for you, um, was that associated with a sort of specific sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit? Because I remember something Lloyd-Jones said about revival, that he said that to him, revival was very much about, you know, uh, big groups of people having encounters with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit initially in the church and spilling out into the world. But he also said that he felt that, you know, revival could happen personally, that you could be personally revived. Um, and so he had a very, very strong sort of stress on the fact that, you know, receiving the Holy Spirit consciously and 
um, we can argue about terms like baptism of the Holy Spirit or filling with the Holy Spirit or special encounters with the Holy Spirit. I mean, we, we can argue about the terms, but uh, perhaps the experience. And, and certainly, I mean, I was just reading this morning about, you know, strong senses of encounters that people from the past had, you know, men like Spurgeon, yeah. like Lavelle, yeah. and some of these people in, in, in times of revival, Wesley, you know, whose heart was strangely warmed, all of these kinds of experiences. So have you had that kind of experience? Uh, and is that something you think people can pursue on a, on an individual level? Absolutely, it is. Um, I, basically, I, I got saved in late 1989, and I was really blessed to be involved in. Uh, it was a Baptist church in Aberdeen called Gerard Street Baptist Church, and it had a really strong uh, youth fellowship which was primarily student age. Um, and the guy who, who led the youth fellowship was one of the elders of the church. And he had experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he freely encouraged those in the youth fellowship to seek God for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So in early 1990, I began to read Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Joy Unspeakable, mm. which uh, changed my life. It really impacted me in such a way that one Friday uh, evening, we were at the Youth Fellowship prayer meeting, maybe 30 people there. And at the end of the meeting, we had about half an hour drive, myself and my friend, to go back uh, home. And I said to uh, my friend Derek, why don't we go back to your house and seek God for baptism in the Holy Spirit? So that's what we did. We got back to his house uh, around midnight. And we went up to his bedroom and began to pray and worship and seek God uh, for an encounter with the Holy Spirit and maybe after 20 minutes or so the power and presence of God came and, and filled the room in such a way that we laughed, we cried, our physical bodies shook under the power of the Holy Spirit. We had no, uh, there was no Toronto blessing. Mm. Uh, in 1990. There wasn't anything that, no framework we had in our minds to understand what was happening to us. So in many ways it was a, a fearsome, uh, an awesome thing that the power of God had come in such a manifest way and our whole beings were shaken rigid with the reality of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we were there until four o'clock in the morning, mm. just overcome with the power and presence of God, singing, praying, worshipping God, just with astonishment that he would meet with us in such a way. And that was our experience of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And uh, I've never been the same since. So would you describe that as a sort of weight of the presence? Was there a sort of heaviness almost? Yeah, 
I mean, it was just an overwhelming sense of the, the love and the presence of God. Uh, I think uh, Romans chapter 5 speaks about God's love being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And that was our experience at that time. Um, I mean, was conviction of sin a, a big part of that? I think it was certainly outworked in our lives over the coming months that our lifestyle was radically changed. Uh, we stopped listening to certain kinds of music that had lyrics that were not honouring to God. We stopped uh, getting drunk. Uh, our lives were turned upside down in terms of our view of the purpose of life and the meaning of life because of that encounter. Uh, it's, it's interesting and, that you describe it that way. And I think, you know, when you read historical accounts of, of the outpourings of the Holy Spirit, they often begin in that sort of co context of prayer and that context of seeking God and actually asking him. And it's a funny thing. I think many Christians, you know, don't realize that we, we need to ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. It's a very easy thing to forget to yeah. do that. Or to think, oh, well, I received it all when I was a Christian. I, I know what the doctor would say about that. Lloyd-Jones, you say, well, if you've got it all, where in heaven's name is it? Because we don't have the power that, yeah. uh, that, the, um, that the early church had often. We're not seeing you know, the salvations. We're not seeing the lives change. We're often a little bit passive ourselves. We're a little bit, you know, um, yeah. maybe even lukewarm, which is a scary thing when, when Jesus says he'll spit people who are lukewarm out of his mouth, you know. Um, yeah. and sometimes we need that sort of waking up. And as you described that experience, it actually reminded me of something that happened to me when I was, when I was a child, actually. I was, a, I was about 12, 13, something like that. And um, I'd, I'd had... Um, I'd been blessed to grow up in a, in a spirit-filled church, um, you know, part of that early charismatic movement. So, you know, we had the joyful worship music. Uh, we had the moments of the presence of God and, and joy there. And, and um, you know, even the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because gifts of the Holy Spirit, yeah, they're great, but they're, it's not necessarily the priority here, is it? It's the actual encounter with the presence of God, like you're describing. And, yeah. But often those, in those moments uh, in a corporate context or, or indeed just one-on-one -on -one, uh, or just on your own with God uh, are often around joy and they maybe lack something of that, such a huge sense of my goodness, God really is in the room. Uh, and I remember yeah. for me, probably there's one period of time in my life where uh, I had that strongest sense and I would describe it really as a mini revival. It wasn't just me, it was a small group of us. And I arrived actually after it started a few weeks before uh, I arrived at school. I, I moved schools as a, as a young person and, and there was a prayer meeting that was happening every morning before school. Um, I mean, that in itself is a bit of a miracle when you think about it. Kids yeah. getting to school, maybe I think it was half an hour early um, to pray. And I think we'd pray also at lunchtime, some lunchtimes. And um, you would gather in this room. And I can still remember it now. It was a small Kind of upper room funnily enough and there was a silence in the room there was a weight of the presence of god in the room there was a holiness there was a there was a fear there was a sense we, we need to get ourselves right with god and we were having yeah. people coming into the room who weren't christians um and then just crying and and becoming christians and it led to sort of mushrooming of that of that um 
Christian Union. That you know, it was a period of uh, some weeks or months that, that this went on. It didn't carry on forever. Um, but as I look back on those moments of encountering God in the room, I think, yeah, that's that's a taste of revival, really. Um, mm-hmm. And I wonder if you know people who are listening uh, to this, you know, may have had some similar moments. And it's, I guess, it's about saying, God, do that again. Would, would you agree? Yeah, I certainly would agree. Um, I think there is such a desperate need for awakening in the church. Uh, And, you know, God only knows what it's going to take to waking people up from, you know, we we can carry on with church as it is. And in many ways, a lot of churches are living in a separate culture to our society and the big challenge that we have is to reach the lost and you can have in place as many evangelistic strategies as you like Um, and I would never diss those uh, attempts to bring the gospel to people uh, but there's something extra of the power and presence of God um, that brings such conviction uh, and awakens people to who God really is and we need that extra dimension and it's a sovereign move of God it's you know, Isaiah 64 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And there's a sense in which revival is about God stepping down from heaven in such a way that people are confronted with him. And they're stopped in their tracks. And they say, Oh, my goodness. How have I been living my life And God has seen it all. He's been there all along. And I just didn't realize it. What have I been doing with my life? I need to get on my face before God and cry out for mercy. And, you know, going back to the Isle of Lewis revival, that was a very powerful aspect of the Lewis revival, which occurred around 70 years ago. And one of the the most famous stories from the Lewis revival uh, relates to a spontaneous gathering of several hundred people uh, outside of the Barvis church at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, So no meeting has been called Uh, people spontaneously moved by the Holy Spirit get up out of their beds and several hundred people gather and the minister is is woken up he gets up out of his bed puts on his uh, ministerial collar (laughs) and goes along to the church and ushers people in, the church is packed out, he preaches the gospel, and when I say preaches the gospel, I mean, I mean it was focused on heaven and hell, 
It was focused on eternal realities. Where are you going on the day that you die? Are you sure you know? Uh, and there's a danger that we water down the gospel, that we say, oh, it doesn't matter. And, you know, everyone's going to heaven anyway. No, no, that's not the gospel Jesus preached. Jesus spoke very clearly and more than anyone else in the Bible about the realities of hell. And in that move of the Holy Spirit, there was a very clear preaching of the gospel, the realities of heaven and hell. And people were crying out in that service in the middle of the night for the mercy of God. And many, many people came to faith in Christ. So that there is a responsibility with the church not to water down the gospel, not to compromise on what the Bible teaches. We are called to proclaim the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have no place to change what the word of God says. Nobody likes the prospect of hell for anyone. It's a terrible, terrible thing that we read of in scripture. But it's there. And those who preach and minister the word of God have a responsibility to preach the whole gospel in order that we face the truth and respond appropriately. And that's where the fear of God comes in. Mm. And it's, it's very interesting to hear you talk about um, the Lewis revival, because, I mean, one moment for me was, um, it has been more than 20 years ago now, um, coming up to 25 years ago now, um, I was on my uh, honeymoon uh, with my wife and we chose to tour Scotland because that's my roots. Um, like most English people, I've got, I, li I like to think I'm a bit Scottish, but more so than most people, because three out of my four grandparents were Scottish. And so I wanted to show my new wife Scotland and we went um, on the Highlands and some of the islands. And one of the places I wanted to go was Lewis. And uh, when we got to Lewis, one of the first things I did was I went along to the Christian bookshop and I said, look, is there any Christians still alive that remembers the Lewis revival? So this was in 1995 yeah, yeah. and there was about two or three left at that point. And uh, one of them was an old person who lived alone. And um, I mean, there was no GDPR in those days. So they gave me her address and myself and my wife went and knocked on her door and, and she let us in. And of course, not many people were probably asking her about the revival at that point, although I'm sure she'd had many people over the years. But as she spoke about it, there was a light that came on in her face, a sparkle in her eyes, which I'll never forget. And she spoke about that sense of the Holy Spirit compelling people to come out and that sense of the heaviness of the presence of God coming down, that God was with his people uh, and that God was, yeah, causing that conviction of sin and, and causing you to, to be serious with God and and. Yeah, that was quite a quite a moment for me because, of course, it's it's still the case, really, that certainly in terms of anything widespread um, and and following that sort of typical model of revival where the saints gather in prayer, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and non-Christians come in. I mean, I remember them talking about the Welsh one of the Welsh revivals that, that somebody said, "Well, how will I know?" where it is that says, oh, you'll know, you know, when you get close, you'll know, you know, yeah, and people yeah. would go through on the train. And as they came into that, that zone where the Holy Spirit was, it was like, wow, 
they were arrested. And so, yeah, there was that characteristic in Lewis. And I think, yeah, whilst we may have seen hints of it and sort of small scale mini revivals like the one I described, or you could talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happened through Billy Graham's ministry when many people were drawn to God. And there was that sense of the Spirit compelling them to come forward sometimes. And and that sense of, yeah, God is dealing with me individually and I need to get right with him. So there were elements of it. But but if we're looking for that sort of classic revival, it's really something that hasn't happened for, for many, many years in this country. But it has happened in other parts of the world. Um, and I do agree with you that it, it, that we mustn't like give up on that. I, I remember Terry Virgo, um, who's the founder of the group of churches I've been a part of, he was a great believer in this and, and spoke about, I mean, there was a book by Arthur Wallace, but also spoke about Lloyd-Jones because Lloyd-Jones talks a lot about revival and, yeah. and linked it with that sense of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Um, but also Terry told me that for him, perhaps one of the most powerful moments, despite all those years of leading Bible weeks and great worship times, actually for him, one of the most powerful moments was one particular time when Lloyd-Jones was preaching and at the end, nobody moved there was a, a heaviness that came over that room and, and, and terry described the fact that people were just gobsmacked really i suppose is the only way to describe it doing business between themselves and god for several minutes nobody moved um, because of the conviction of sin that had come through that anointed sermon so I, I think you're right we need to see anointed preaching we need to see faith preaching we need to see prayer uh we need to see conviction of sin we need to see that wakening up that the alertness to our own mortality. So right now, I hope Christians are praying uh, for their neighbours and for this nation and for the world as we okay. face the the great uh, apocalypse, almost it could be, of, of this this um, new virus. With, you know, maybe tens of thousands of deaths. Um, people are going to meet their maker. So there's an urgency really that needs to come on us that we pray not just to be delivered from this trial, but that God will meet us in the trial and pour out his Holy Spirit and uh, people will be saved as a result. Uh, do you want to add? You, I think that, um, you know, the phrase deathbed conversion is often used. Um, and the concept there is that as people approach their own death, it focuses the mind uh, to consider eternal realities. And, you know, you could expand that out, you know, to our current situation with the coronavirus. It focuses people's minds to consider eternal realities that, oh my goodness, uh, I may not have long. And certainly, as we look around uh, at other people, they, somebody is not going to have long. Mm. I think that's what Boris Johnson was trying to say. We need to waken up to um, actually, uh, this is a very serious situation. It is a health crisis for the nation. And my prayer is that people will turn to Jesus and believe in him and look to him as their saviour and Lord. And he is the only one who came down from heaven and willingly gave his life to death on the cross. And he had us on his mind when he did that. He, he laid down his life for each and every one of us. And if you're watching this video, I want to 
encourage you today, if you've not believed in Jesus, to look to him in faith, to cry out to him for mercy, that he would forgive you your sins, and that you would be saved, that your eternal future would be safe in the arms of God, because that's why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost. So I encourage you today to believe in Jesus for the salvation of your soul. Amen. Seems to me that's probably a really good place to end this. Uh, all I will say is this this is obviously going to have two lives. I know it's going to be part of the conference and you very graciously allowed me to post it also on my blog. So for those who are finding it uh, online somewhere um, and, and they were like, well, what is this conference, this revived conference? How, how can people access that, the rest of the uh, information? Yes. Um, well, the Revive Us Again conference is now an online conference and you can get all the details at reviveusagain.co.uk. Um, there are several keynote speakers who will present and preach, but also who will be interviewed similar to uh, this interview that I'm having with Adrian just now. Um, so have a look on the website. Tickets to access all of the, the conference materials are £15 each. And you can access all of the materials from the 4th of April, 2020. Wonderful. Well, thank you very, very much, uh, Richard, for joining us. Um, and uh, if you want to find out more, that's reviveusagain.com. Um, Was that what .co.uk? Sorry, I missed that. Reviveusagain.co.uk. And of course, you can find more information um, and more interviews, including one that I filmed with you just a little while ago on Christian mindfulness over at adrianwarnock.com as well. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. Okay, thank you, Adrian. Well, you've made it to the end of an episode of Adrian Warnock's Christian podcast. You must have some stamina. Well done. And if you liked what you heard, you know what to do. Subscribe, review, tell all your friends about it. And in the meantime, why not visit adrianwarnock.com?